0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. So this week and next week, I want to be talking, I am going to, I want to, and I will be, talking about the cross um, leading into Easter, just wanting to, um, for us to, to think on and to talk about some of the, the awe of the cross and um, to pull out some of the things that we find um, are real and true about the cross. And I was thinking about, um, you know, it's so easy, I think, year in, year out, to, to find the seasons come and go, like Christmas season, Easter season, Christmas season, and just like to get a bit lost in the being there, done that sense of the story. Um, but the invitation that's always before us is to e- keep entering into the awe of what God has done. And so I'm hoping that this week and next week, and then as we follow on through Palm Sunday to Easter, that in your life as in my life, that we'll just be choosing maybe to lean into a little bit more of the awe of Easter rather than the, the humdrum of the story. Um, so that's what we'll be doing so really I want us to be looking at the cross and I guess in a way imagining the cross as like some kind of prism um, through which we see everything, which is really what the cross is for us as followers of Jesus. It is like um, the way in which we understand what God is doing. It's like if we can imagine, and I couldn't find an appropriate graphic for this, but if you go to the next um, if I wanted to find a cross-shaped crystal prism, like I, you can't imagine how much I googled different variations of those words because I am incapable of creating anything myself. But uh, the idea that as we ask God what are you like and what are you doing, it is like a light beam that gets refracted through the cross into a multitude of wisdom and understanding. Like, that's what the cross is. It's not like one thing. It's not like God was doing one thing one time on the cross. It is what God is always doing, always revealing, always being as we see him through the prism of the cross. It's magnificent. And I think that if I was honest, I would have grown up with this. The story was that the cross was about forgiveness And it was about salvation and that was pretty much the only lens through which the cross was preached for me that's what I felt growing up but I have come to realize that the cross is like so much more than that in fact we could just you know Paul said I um, decided nothing among you except to preach Christ crucified like I'm like really nothing else but Christ crucified But that's how magnificent the cross is. You could talk about it every week for forever and not um, drink the thing dry. And that, to me, is amazing. And it means that if I find any kind of, oh, yeah, been there, heard that in me, then there's some there's an invitation to more. If that ever in you the idea of hearing about the cross once again rises a sense of boredom or, oh, here we go again, then... The imitation is just like, there is something else to see and there is something else to know because there's more than just a once upon a time story about the cross. So I want to read out this quote from a, a, a guy called Hans. If your name's Hans, you should write quotes. <laughs> Hans Erz von, ba- von, von Balthasar um, says this, Being disguised... Under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, the Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. In other words, when we look at the cross, even though when we look at it, we see ugly crucifixion and death, paradoxically, we see the clearest idea of what God is and who God is and what God is doing. That's why it's so magnificent. It's the clearest picture we have of what God is like. And we all want to know what God is like in our lives, in the world, what he's doing. So we look at the cross. And so the cross and, you know, when we look at it, we see just like this multitude of, of things around how we can understand what the cross is. It's not just about one thing. It's about a million different things. And we could pick different ones of them out and keep talking about it on and on and on. And I've got just this graphic of things that I have come to see and understand as the theology of the cross and the magnificence of the cross. And that's really only what I could fit in the rainbow graphic that I could find. And you, even if, like, we could we could keep writing the things we see God is on the cross and see God is doing on the cross. We could keep filling those things with more and more and more and more words and understandings and explanations. And still beyond it, we would never have enough words to say what God was doing. And because we can only speak what we understand, but there is so much more that, God, that, that what God is doing than what we can understand. And that's the mystery of what God is doing. So we can only speak about what we understand, but let's be honest. We have a limited understanding. God is is doing, has done, will do so much more than anything we can understand. And as someone said, you know, the idea of mystery is not that we can not understand what is going on. The idea of mystery is that we can endlessly understand what is going on. That's mystery. So this whole thing really is mystery. Can we say what is happening? We say and see things through a glass darkly. Can we endlessly speak about the cross? Yes, we can. Will we ever drain it dry? No, we'll not. Will we ever nail it down? No, we won't. Yeah, because, you know, we cannot nail this God down. because <laughs> Well, we can try. He tends to take the nails and turn them into something wonderful. So anyway... What I want to talk about tonight, I'm going to pick something else for next week, but what I want to talk about tonight is the cross as the cosmic reconciliation of all things. So, this is one of the things the Bible talks about what God was doing in Christ on the cross. And it talks about cosmic reconciliation. So, this is just one of the threads of what God is doing on the cross. And the clearest verse. That we have as a package on this is in um, comes from two Corinthians, chapter five and verse nineteen, which says, "For God was in Christ reconciling the world, cosmos—not like just just—that's where the word cosmos comes from, hence cosmic—reconciling um, the world to Himself." no longer counting people's sins against them that's like one of the clearest verses we have that kind of summarizes cosmic reconciliation for god was in christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and this art is by um, a guy called Jean-Georges, jean george john cornelius he's a french artist And this is, some of you might have seen this before because I think I've probably shown you this piece of art before. This is one of my favourite pieces of art on the cross. Um, It's a magnificent piece of art because we have such terrible theology um, about the cross at times. Um, But this is good theology because it, it shows where God was when Jesus was on the cross. Where is God when Jesus is on the cross? Dying with Christ on the cross. You can never have good, you cannot have good theology in any way that divides up the Trinity when you look at the cross. If you have any theology that says that God was punishing Jesus that God turned his face away, that God abandoned Jesus, that is rubbish theology and you need to throw it out and get some better thinking because you cannot divide the Trinity. As soon as you divide up the Trinity in the work on the cross, you've blown up the whole thing. So you've got to keep them together. So what was God doing? Where was God on Good Friday? There. And I love this art because it has God lashed to Jesus. It's not just... Jesus, the son that was somehow appeasing the father's wrath by dying on behalf of humanity. It is God in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Now that's a whole nother sermon that I could preach. The cross is not about forgiveness of sins. The cross is about God flipping, ripping up the whole sin thing and never touching it again. He's like, I'm done with sin. You can take your little schedule of sins and your little lists of what you do and you don't do, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm out of the business. It's done. I'm not counting people's sins against them. The book's ripped up. So is the cross about forgiveness? You could kind of say it's somehow about forgiveness, but you actually have to talk about the cross as the abolishment of sin as far as God is concerned entirely because God's not counting people's sins against them anymore and I would suggest that he probably never did if the cross is the clearest revelation of who God is anyway another sermon so this idea of the cosmic reconciliation of all things is mentioned by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and the rest of that chapter if you read it you'll pick up the reconciliation stuff that Paul is talking about it's great but this idea is expanded in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1. So it's not just like some random thing that we find thrown into 2 Corinthians, but it's actually fleshed out a little bit more in other scriptures. And so in, in um, Colossians chapter 1, and it's actually written up here. So, if Oren, you can read that because you're close enough, but for the rest of you. I'm going to read it up here. Now, this is out of the message version because I think this is one of the most fabulous... Tran- um, translations of this passage we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen we look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything absolutely everything above and below visible and invisible rank after rank after rank of angels everything got started in him And finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. So spacious is he. So expansive that everything of God, which is everything that has ever been made in the entire world, inside the entire cosmos, everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death. His blood that poured down from the cross. This is the cosmic reconciliation of all things. This is all things. Everything, visible and invisible. Everything that has happened, is happening, will happen. Everything we know exists and doesn't know exists. Everything in the earthly sphere and everything beyond it. Every single thing is in him, finds its place in him and on the cross he was reconciling All of it to himself. All the stuff we can say is good, true and beautiful and all the stuff we go is crap, awful and ugly. He's reconciling and pulling the whole thing together in himself on the cross. And he's forever doing that work. That's what he's doing on the cross. We see this um, Colossians 1.20 translated a few different ways in different versions. Here's a few different ones. And through him Christ was reconciling to himself all things all things. That means all things. There is no thing that does not fit into the all of all things. That's not some things. That's not nice, just the nice things or the good things or the holy things. It is the whole freaking mess of the world, all things. And through him, God was happy to bring all things back to himself again. Through the son then, God decided to bring the whole universe back to himself all things all things the entire universe that all things is just the word paz each every all the whole everyone all things everything you cannot think of anything in your life in your story in the history in the mess in the beauty in the goodness that is not belong in all things all things he was reconciling to himself on the cross. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing about it again and you can read the whole passage for yourself but in verses 9 to 10, he writes this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment. This is Paul being wordy. I wish he had just said... He made known to us the mystery of his will, which is to bring unity to all things in heaven on earth under Christ. The mystery, because it is a mystery how the heck he does this. The mystery of God's will in Christ was to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Again, different versions of that verse say this. He is going to gather together in one all things in Christ, that he might sum up all things in Christ. He had a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. His plan was to sum up the whole cosmos in the king. He planned to bring all of history to its goal in Christ. And that word that they are trying to put language to is the Greek word at the bottom there. (laughs) 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 Which, um, if you flick to the next slide, Dan, the the easier way to say it is anakephaleomai. All right? It's Greek. It means recapitulation, which doesn't help at all in the English, right? Recapitulation, anakephaliomai, which literally means summarising the whole story. It's like God is saying, I am going to retell the entire story of the cosmos in Christ. This is the reconciliation of all things as it speaks to history unfolding from first adam to whenever it ends the whole thing is going to be recapitulated retold summed up summarized in christ that's the this is mysterious how is god going to do this i don't know your history summed up in christ my history summed up in Christ. The history of Australia summed up in Christ. The history of the world summed up in Christ. That's what God is doing on the cross. This is the cosmic reconciliation of all things that we see, see so clearly on the cross and which we need to get a bigger vision of the work that God is doing. Let me read you some quotes by some people who can write about this better than I can speak about it. And some of these are provocative. But as you follow this through, it becomes provocative because it is provocative that God in Christ would sum up the whole thing in in Christ. Okay, this is Robert Farah Capon. The recapitulation of all things in Christ is the redemption of the world not as the removal of great chunks of its history or the pruning out of all its sins but as the recapitulation, the retelling of all its stories, good and bad ...in the person of Jesus, the incarnate word. It's the mystery of Christ's presence in all of history. And above all, the mystery of the presence of all sinful history in him. It's not that the word shows up late in history... ...and waves a magic wand that gets rid of people's sins... It's that he's always had the whole lost world in his arms and that in its recapitulation, its lostness becomes just another occasion for celebration. So God's not going to do this by just trying to erase every negative or bad thing that ever happened because what would happen if that was the the plan? How much of your life would be left? How much of human history would be left if God just thought, all right, okay, I can't deal with the mess and the sin and the stuff and the bad choices and all the stuff that went wrong and all the selfishness and all the pride and all the capitalism and all the greed. So I'm going to just erase all of those bits of history and I'll just leave the good. Like how much history would be left? Three days? I don't know. How much of your life would be left if God had to erase everything in you that wasn't of him? So he had to have a bigger plan than just trying to avoid the bad bits and his bigger plan is that somehow in the work of the cross and in Christ the whole thing gets summed up, all things, the good and the bad becomes in Christ on the cross. The Bible, when all is said and done, does not inform us that God walks away from sinners. It shows him going after the lost sheep until he finds it, running to the prodigals and kissing them before, not after, they make their confessions, and staying with the woman taken in adultery until all her accusers have gone away in shame. In other words, the God of Scripture spends his time in history wading chin deep with us through the mud of our sins. But as he retells the story of our journey in the Godhead, he respeaks our sins as all right in his Trinitarian pillow talk, which is just a weird image of anyway. You can go <laughs> there where you want. We go to our final home with our sins, not without them. For the simple reason that every moment of our history is held in Him. Like, that's mind boggling to me. That somehow the goal isn't for God to chunk out all my sins. And that's actually not what God was trying to do on the cross. Like, smooth. He was actually just going to go, I can deal with it all, and I've got you bring it on. That's what the cross is. And so if you have an image of God or a theology of God that imagines that God is too holy to look upon sin, that God was too horrified by Jesus on the cross that he had to turn his face away, that God is not interested in your life and your Yourself when you're messed up, then you've got a terrible image of God and you need to get a better one. One of God who just loves to wade chin deep with you through the mess of your life and who is capturing all of you, good, bad, beautiful, everything up in Him and He's presenting you to God faultless. That's the Christ. That's the cosmic reconciliation of God. This is William Paul Young. Paul Young wrote The Shack. And um, right before this bit where he's writing this in the book, he says that he has... Um, is everyone familiar with The Shack? The story, the movie, the book? Great. He, he said he has come to realise that he made one very grave mistake in the writing of The Shack. And he says this is what it is. Um, you know the story. Mac goes to the place where his daughter was presumably abducted and murdered. And he rages and rages and rages at God and then he goes to walk away and as he's walking away, angry and despondent and done with God, he hears the sound of laughter and he turns around and the shack has been transformed and he can hear God. Um, and he goes in and then has an encounter with the Trinity and it's quite a beautiful thing. Then at the very end of the book and at the end of the movie, It kind of gets transformed back and you see Mac going back to the original shack, except there's one difference. In the first instance, there was blood on the floor, the blood of his daughter. He could see the stain on the wooden floorboards of the shack and he wrote it that when Mac went back to the shack at the very end after the bulk of the book, the blood stain was gone. He said, that is my greatest mistake in writing that book because God does not wipe away the history he transforms it. The blood stain should still have been there, but it's become something else. And then he writes this Even when we work through our great sadness, our losses and betrayals, the evidence of what we have done or what was done to us does not disappear. Instead, it is worked into what we become. And while evil is never justified, it is redeemed and rescued from its intent, thus becoming a statement of true justice. This is Jesus. God submitting to our torture machine, the cross, the worst way to die, and transforming it into an icon and monument of grace, so precious to us that we wear it on our rings or around our necks This torture device declares that there is nothing I can bring to the table that is so evil and broken that God won't climb into it with me. There is nothing so dead that God is incapable of growing in it something living. The cross, once our greatest attempt at destroying life, has become our most precious symbol of the God who is hope for all. That is the recapitulation of all things. Somehow, all of it, our sadness, our betrayals, our grief, our pain, our history, our mess, mess done to us, the mess of history, the mess of the world, the broken and dislocated parts of the universe, somehow all of them find their place in him and he retells the whole story as beautiful and wonderful and holy. But he doesn't have to wipe out your mess to do it. And he doesn't have to wipe away your brokenness to do it. That's the stuff out of which he grows the most beautiful things. This is the cosmic reconciliation of all things. And Richard Raw writes, Once the killing of God becomes the redemption of the world, then forevermore the very worst things have the power to become the very best things. Henceforth nothing can be a dead end. Everything is capable of new beginning and new meaning. Cosmic reconciliation of all things is all people, all things, all history reconciled in Christ, not needing to wipe away one little bit of it, retelling the whole thing somehow. How? I don't know. But I trust it. Can I prove to you that this is what God was doing in Christ on the cross? No, I can't prove it to you. Do I trust it? Yes, I do. Why do I trust it? Because when I look at the cross, I can see it at work. I can see that the very worst thing that the creation ever could have done to the creator was to slaughter him. We did that. We were like, hey, life, death. Hey, light, darkness. Hey, freedom, we'll tie you up. That's what we did. And what does God do? Turns around into something beautiful. So when I look at the cross, I see my freedom. I see my light. I see love. I see my story retold as something beautiful. So I see it there on the cross. So if I can see it there on the cross, I can find it somewhere in my life, in my story. Where can I see the reconciliation of all things happening in me and I can see it because there are things in my story and my life that if you once asked me, I just would have said they're crap and they're useless and they're broken and I wish it had never happened or I wish I'd never done it and now I look at my life and I think something really good's coming out of some of that stuff. Now I can't make all of it make sense, that's the job of Jesus but i can see it in my life that some things i once declared as terrible i can now hold as something slightly holy so i can see it in me i can see it in the cross and i can, I can see this work kind of starting to happen in me if if when we look at the cross we can see that all the you know all things are coming together good true broken ugly And if I can see in my own life somehow that that's the same story repeating itself, that all things are somehow coming together and coming to goodness in me, the good, the ugly, the the true, the weird, then I can somehow just trust in this reconciling work of God in the world and in my life. I can stop denying and hiding and rearranging things myself and I can trust that God in Christ is going to do the reconciliation work. Not just at some point in history, but that He's already started because it's already been done. I just don't always yet see it. What this helps us do is somehow hold ourselves more holy in God. Because we don't have to figure out what bits aren't allowed and what bits are okay. Because somehow the whole thing is okay. So we we can stop kind of like dodging and denying and pretending when it comes to our relationship with God. Because we can just trust in his acceptance of the whole thing. And that somehow out of it all he's going to make something beautiful. So it brings us into a place of confidence in Christ. Um. If, if I can hold all of my contrasts, <laughs> if I can hold all of my pain and my fractures and my whole messy and wonderful story as somehow all right in Christ, then maybe it's possible that I can also do this with other people and that I can actually participate in the reconciliation of all things as Christ gives me the ministry of reconciliation, which is 1 Corinthians 5 the ministry of reconciliation. You can only really do that with other people if you've done it in yourself. If you have found a way somehow to hold the contrasts of your own life as reconciled in Christ, that's when you can hold the contrast of other people. When you can hold your own like beauty and your own ugliness, your own like happiness with your life and your own shame, your own truth and your own slyness, your your own ugliness and your own beauty, once you can hold the paradox and the the tension of those things in yourself and know that Christ has reconciled it all, then when you face other people who are full of complexity and full of paradox, you can actually hold them in truth and goodness because Christ is doing the same thing with them. Not only the good and the holy people who go to church, but all things and all people. So it's not only the holy people I can do that with, oh, you're all right because you're on the journey. No, no, all things, all people, God somehow reconciling the whole thing to himself. So I can enter into the ministry of reconciliation if I can hold my own paradox, I can hold yours. You don't have to be perfect. I can hold your sin and your beauty together and just know that you're loved and I can love you. I can hold your truth and your lies as part of who you are and And know that it's okay because God's reconciling all things. And somehow we learn how to love one another with the love that God has as we participate in this reconciliation of all things. And once I've done it with you, we can do it with the world. We can hold the paradox and the tension of the world knowing that it's not, and it's not that it's our job to reconcile. it. It's actually not. We can't do a thing. We're hopeless. We can only participate in what's already happening and have the eyes to see what God is already doing. And it stops us from having to segment everything into that's sacred and that's profane and that's holy and that's awful and you can do that but you can't do that. And it gets us out of that mess of dualism and into this space of wholeness and goodness. And once you've understood that the whole thing's held together in Christ, it's, you're free. You're just free. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. I want to finish with reading you a poem by um, a British poet whose name is Lem Sissy, or Lem Sissy, I don't know how to say it. Lem Sisse. I really like this poem and I feel like it's incredible evidence of the reconciliation of all things, and before I read the poem, I want you to just—I want to just tell you a tiny bit about Lem's, Lem's life. So he was born in 1967, and he was born to an Ethiopian woman who just not long landed in England. She was an unwed mother, and so because she was, she was sent to a home for unwed mothers. And when she had Lem, she had to give him up, and he was fostered out to a family who were told they should think of him as being adopted, even though he was really only fostered. They were just like, just pretend you've adopted him. Um, That family went on to have three of their own children and when Lem was 12, uh, they gave him back and said, we don't want him anymore. And they put him in foster homes. And he went through about four foster homes from the time that he was 12 to when he was 17. Um, When he was able to get access to his records and discover what his real name was and who his mum was, he realised that a year after he was born, she had actually written to this family um, asking how she could get him back and they just destroyed all correspondence. When this family handed him back over to the foster system, they said to him, um, neither us nor anyone in our family will ever contact you again. You're done. Um, he's gone on to become an incredible poet, and he was the official poet of the um, 2012 London Olympics. Um, I didn't know about that back then. I didn't know that I didn't know that the Olympic Games had official poets. <laughs> Apparently, they do. And Lim Sise was the one in 2012. But he's written this poem. He's written many poems, but I want to read this one out because I feel like knowing his story and hearing this poem, I catch a glimpse into a man who understands the magic of the reconciliation of all things. It's called Some Things I Like. I like wrecks. I like ex-junkies. I like flunks and ex-flunkies. I like the way the careerless career. I like flat beer. I like people who tell half stories and forget the rest. I like people who make doodles in important written tests. I like being late, I like fate, I like the way teeth grate. I like laceless shoes, cordless blues, I like the one bar blues. I like buttonless coats and leaky boats, I like rubbish tips and bitten lips, I like yesterday's toast. I like cold tea, I like reality. I like ashtrays, I write and like crap plays. I like curtains that don't quite shut. I like bread knives that don't quite cut. I like rips in blue jeans. I like people who can't say what they mean. I like spiders with no legs, pencils with no lead, ants with no heads, worms that are half dead. I like holes. I like holes. I like coffee cold. I like creases in neat folds. I like signs that just don't know where they're going. I like angry palms. I like the way you can't pin down the sea. See? And I feel like I like that poem because in it is just a list of all the things everybody hates, right? Grating teeth, cold tea, yesterday's toast, when the curtains don't fricking shut. And somehow he's found a place for those things in his life to say I like these things. And that's the work of the reconciliation of all things in our lives and in your life, that all the things that you would say, I don't like that, somehow God says, well, I do. And I present you to my father whole and perfect without blemish and I don't have to erase a thing. Cosmic reconciliation. Don't you love jesus don't you just love the cross don't you just wish this was preached to you as an eight-year-old instead of the black heart stuff anyway um jess and brian are going to come up and sing a song and i want to finish by just giving us some time to consider this and to absorb some of it and to consider for each one of us what some of this might mean um and so maybe just close your eyes um, and uh, Father God, I just, I've talked about things that I feel sometimes I can't talk about because I don't understand them and their mystery and yet somehow we've got to try to find language to give to this beauty and so <laughs> help us. But, God, we bring ourselves before you, the, all of us, no parts hidden from your goodness. We bring all of our broken and dislocated parts. We bring all of our messy story. We bring all the things of our life that we like and we bring all the things of our life that we just wish weren't true about who we are and what we've done and where we are. And we say, God, would you somehow reconcile all this in Christ? Would you help us to see your reconciling work in ourselves so that we can see it in others and we can participate with your reconciling work in this world. So God help us, I pray. Jess and Brian are going to sing this song and as they sing it, I just would really like to invite you to consider if you could just think about one thing about yourself that you find really hard to accept. What is one thing about you that you find really hard to accept. And and if you can think about one thing, if you can think about many, just think about one. Let's start with one. I want you to imagine bringing yourself with that thing before the cross and asking Christ, to do his reconciling work in you. And I want you to think about one thing about your story, your history, your life that you regret. One thing about your life that you regret or one thing about your story or your history that you just cannot imagine how It could be reconciled. And I just want to invite you to bring that one part of your story to the foot of the cross and asking Jesus to give you the eyes to see how maybe something beautiful could come out of something that you just hate or wish never had happened. And I just want to invite you to do a little bit of open reconciliation work before the foot of the cross and just pray you can sit, you can think you can just just bring yourself to Jesus and let him do his good work in you God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. God, would you give us the eyes to see how you are reconciling all things to yourself? Do we see it in the cross, Do we see it in our lives we see it in each other? but we see it in the world? God, would you give us the eyes to see? Amen. I would be really, really happy to pray for anyone who just would like someone to pray with them. So if you would like someone to pray with them, I mean, I'm not the only one anyone would like happy to pray but I feel like if you, you feel like God's touching things in your life then it's good to, to get some prayer I will say this to you if you think this sounds too good to be true then it's the gospel if it doesn't make sense to you at the moment it's still the gospel it's not meant to make sense it's the goodness of God and I have learned that sometimes only this kind of stuff makes sense in my own life when I look backwards. Like it's really hard to see in the present how God can be reconciling the current mess that we're living in. But sometimes we catch glimpses of it in the rearview vision mirror of our lives, and we think, "Yes, He can make dead things like life rise up from dead ground." He's done it before he'll do it again he's done it in Jesus he'll do it in me so we trust when it doesn't make sense amen bless you go be reconciled this week <laughs> you are reconciled it's all done signed sealed and delivered presented holy but have a good week and uh, come and get prayer chat with someone let us pray for you and uh, See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.